Hey, Free Jacks Faithful. On May 21st, get yourself down to the vet, a.k.a. Fort Quincy, and celebrate the many cultures that make up New England at the Free Jacks International Festival. Canada's very own Crash Test Dummies will be playing live, and the Free Jacks will be taking on those Bayou Brawlers, Nola Gold. We'll also have our World Beer Beer Festival going on. So you know the deal. Get your tickets at freejacks.com and come join us in the city of presidents. Quincy, Massachusetts. Let's run. Former U.S. National Rugby Team Captain. Team Captain. Head Coach and General Manager. General Manager. Now, the co-founder and CEO of the New England Free Jacks. Now, now, Full Contact CEO with Alex Magleby. Hey everyone, thanks for joining Full Contact CEO today. I'm your host, Alex Magleby. I'm also co-founder and CEO of the high-flying, amazing New England Free Jacks. Take that world, Inherited Sports Ventures. Joining us today is a man who probably holds a record for appearances on rugby podcasts here in the United States. He's the founder and editor-in-chief of Gift Time Rugby Network. She also runs his own company, Gift Time Media and Productions. And of course, amazingly, is the founder of the HBCU Rugby Classic and Musica Festival, which returns March 31st to April 2nd in D.C. With that being said, so excited to reconnect. Gift, welcome to the show. Man, so much. I definitely appreciate it. You know, big fan. I've loved the, the stuff you guys have put out so far. And, uh, you know, I, I feel honored to be able to be part of that echelon. <laughs> yes, it's amazing. Like You've got more reps than pretty much anyone in the entire world. Like on a permanent basis. This you is, know, I'm, just, I'm just fantastically happy to learn from your experiences, which is amazing. Are you cool no, playing a warm-up game? Perfect. Let's go. I'm going to say a word and you just say first thing that comes to mind. Baton Rouge. Louisiana. Tokyo <laughs> Gaijin. They say that oh, right. My peoples. Ah. <laughs> That's a touring team? Yes. Yes. Straight out of well, Tokyo. Yeah. They're actually mad at me. They're already mad at me right now. I was supposed to be in Bangkok and I, I just couldn't fulfill it. So this is part of the part of the game. <laughs> how did how did you get wait? Well, we'll get into that later. Okay. <laughs> HBCU rugby classic. A, a dream task. Blood and sweat. I that's more than a word, but it, it all goes together. There's so much in that we've got to unpack. Okay. Major League Rugby? Yo, the next bastion for where rugby has to go. Brilliant. You grew up in Louisiana, born and raised? So, no. Actually, I was born in Pennsylvania. I was raised in Iowa and then subsequently raised again in Louisiana. Baton Rouge happens to be a place I call, well, call home the most because it's the place I lived the longest. Okay. But so now I am you in know? Brazil. <laughs> really? That's amazing. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> okay. Why are you a Nola Gold, Gold fan then? Hey, look, I, I, that, that's my people. Look, whenever it's people that you have played with, that you have been, that you grew up, they helped you part of the reason you started rugby. I have to, I'm gold all day. The gold that's all great. day. Tim's a good partner and, and Fitzy's doing a great job. That's my guy. Real quick, why are you in Brazil? So my wife is from Brazil, and so when we got married, we met in Baton Rouge, but we got married. She's we she was like, hey, we got to do stuff in Brazil. I said, hey, 
I can do rugby stuff remotely. We're supposed to be a transient sport, so let me prove my transientness. I came down, no regrets, but, you know, we, we, we add to the, the challenges that already go with it. So coming out of this, it expands the breadth of where I can be with my rugby, but, you know, it adds, adds another other level to defeat. Have you found a club yet in Brazil? Oh, yeah. Curitiba Rugby. Those are my people over there now. So they're, they're actually hounding me. Another, another team that's telling me, hey, you need to hurry up and get back out to practice. All right? We need you ready for the games. We're <laughs> <laughs> like, no. trying to get out there big. Did you pick up rugby in Louisiana growing up? Or is that more college? The Great American Rugby Story? So it really is a lot more of that. So, okay. So the way that it kind of started was I actually... I'd known about rugby because of American football. You research, you know, as I was playing, I researched and knew that rugby was the progenitor of, of American football. Didn't think anything of it. I went to University of South Florida. My dorm mate played rugby, and he had invited me to come out to a game, come out to a practice. And at the time, I was trying to play football for the university as well, too. So came out to a practice, and I was just like, eh, it's okay, whatever, because in my mind, I thought rugby was the equivalent of, like, fencing. Like, it's the archaic sport that, you know, you play and it's nice that it happens, but American football exists. Like, we've already evolved past this. Little did I know. And so after I had graduated, when I came back to Baton Rouge, happened to random chance see the USA 7s on NBC back in 2009. Uh, I was like, it would be funny if Baton Rouge had a team because Baton Rouge doesn't have anything, of course. And I looked it up online. They had a website. I was like, okay, everybody's got a website. What if they, I, they probably aren't even active? Happenstance to go to the practice, they were there. And so from there, they're the ones that really escalated me and got me into the rugby. But if it wasn't for that first seed from my, my dorm mate in, in college, I would have probably never really looked for it in uh Look for it when I got back home after graduation. Which is great. Like you say, marketing five touch points. It only required two touch points for you. So we've got a chance. This is great. So I'm very impulsive. I'm very impulsive. Yeah. <laughs> so when you sat on TV in 09, was that the Vegas Sevens? Yes, Vegas Sevens. So it was whenever they were just doing the highlights on Sunday. Yeah. And this was, I think, really, this was right after the Super Bowl. So there was like nothing to watch. I think I just had a TV on on NBC for whatever reason. And all of a sudden, I, it was, I think it was South Africa, and they were just running a line. And actually, the reason I went was just because they were running the line and passing it through. And in my mind, I was like, yo, why don't they, why are they even passing? Just juke those guys that are in front of you and just take it over the top. I was like, you know what? They can do this. Yeah. I was like, you know what would be funny? And that's the rest of the story. It's like, you know what would be funny? You know, everything good and everything bad starts off with, you know what would be funny? And then the action follows out. And you're going to try to do it. And you're like, I still haven't been able to juke anybody. Right. You know, you, <laughs> you learned your lesson. That stamina was that that first practice was a very eye opening for me, to say the least. But that's an amazing lesson here. You know, the work that John Presmack did to get that, to finance that and get that on national TV, make it accessible. Yes. And that's what planted the seed, which then gave you an opportunity to be a part of this great game, which is really yes. cool. So, yeah. so from there, I mean, you're making a career in rugby. What's, what's happened and transpired since then? How did you get that bug? So it, it really was after, I think I played for about four years, four seasons. So 2009 to 2012. In 2012, my club, as many of our clubs have gone, especially in D2, we had a moment where everybody and their mama 
had family issues. We lost a bunch of players. You know, everything on the outside reduced our numbers. So we were going to games where we're going in with five, six, seven players and trying to get whores, stuff like that. And in that moment, I was like, let me try and take a bigger role with the club, with Baton Rouge Rugby Club. And I wanted to get to know more of the teams around because basically the teams that I really got to know were the ones that we were playing on a regular basis. But it was very confusing to me as to why this sport that has so many accesses of people and so many various versions, various you know types of people was not bigger. So I was like, let me go learn more about some of these other teams, especially in the South, because at the time, I think Rugby Mag was the one that Rugby Magazine, correctly, was going on. But you didn't really hear anything about the South. It was the West, Midwest and uh, Northeast. So I wanted to learn more about the team, started looking up the Facebook pages. And and then I also happened to be a really big fantasy football fan. So I really have and I've been doing it, had been doing this since 03. So I really was about analysis and breaking down players. And I wanted to kind of create a little bit better of a comparison for who we competed against. Part of that was wanting to create a Louisiana championship where we could determine the best in Louisiana. The other part was to create something that people were able to at least consume a little bit. So 2012, I started researching teams. And then by 2013, I was like, let me just blog. Let me just blog and start ranking the Louisiana teams. And then it just kind of built out from there. From blogging and learning about the teams, I started learning about the collegiate teams. I made a list and found out there was almost 400 teams in the South between men and women. Another, I think we had another like 150 teams of men's and women's club. And so it was like, okay, how do we connect all these pieces together? And it was, let me learn more about these teams. And then, you know, as anything goes, you always are filling in the blank. I'm business-minded me always goes, we have this space here. This, there's a huge gap space here. So how do we fill it? Well, I know that we can write and blog, but we had some good bloggers and writers already with Alex Goff. We had Curtis at the time. Grant Cole was doing it at the time. I was like, okay, let me try and see if I can do more with my speaking. So learned about live audio with, I forgot the name of the program that I was doing. I give credit to people like Laura, who used to be the, the media communications person yeah. for USA Rugby because she was the first person to allow me to go to a USA Rugby game and actually try and do a live broadcast, audio broadcast of the game. I think it was in Blacksburg, Carolina against Canada. I think we were going for a World Cup qualifier, for the Rugby World Cup qualifier. This was in 2014 that was this happened. Oh, no, no, this was 2013. I'm sorry. This was that, was, that was Laura Gill? Laura Gill, yeah, exactly. Yeah, great. Okay, perfect. Laura Gill was the one that did. So I tried to give a little bit of credence into that, and I realized at the national level, I don't think I'm quite ready for it. But the collegiate level, there was a lot of openings going for that. So built with the audio side of that. From there, I was like, I know people want to see this game and not just hear it. So I started filming and then attaching the audio to it afterwards. So people could listen to it live and then I'd post a game afterwards. And so I did that around the South for a few games. And then, as I said, I'm always looking, what's the next ambition? And it was, how do I get these games streaming? I had a guy who used to play for Mobile, Alabama. He was the media guy for the USA South Panthers. He was the first person who inserted the seed of, 
trying to live stream the video as well as the audio. So I'm basically live streaming the game. So this was 2014 initially. We tried to do it for USA South versus Guyana. It was their championship game. Completely failed in getting the live stream. <laughs> I bought a whole bunch of equipment, did not connect together. We were able to film the game, but a lot of people were upset because of the live streaming and I had promoted it up so much. So I almost kind of threw it to the side, but he convinced me to do it again. And we ended up doing it for the True South D2 Championship. And it was choppy and blurry, but people were able to see the games for the first time instead of hearing. And I have a big motto. I hate things being lost in memory because, you know, we have the stories, but the visuals play so much heavier. Right. Yeah. So from there, we were, I was able to got contracted to do uh, the USA South. I'm sorry, the NACRA U19 championships in Orlando, Florida in 2015. And that was the biggest production that I started. It was the first time I did multi-camera. I literally was solving it. I learned a little bit of my lesson. I actually talked to the equipment producers. Tell me, how do I put these pieces together to make sure I stream accurately? Was able to do it. It was rough the first couple of days because the cameras didn't work. <laughs> yeah. We got it going eventually. And so for 10 days, you know, we were streaming the games going on from there. Followed that up with um, the another collegiate one in Savannah, Georgia that same year. And I did, for na I did it for what is, you know, NCR now, but Enscrow at the time for their women's team. So I was really trying to establish being able to get the streaming component going on so that people could see the games. But it was still learning process and I, I i kind of started to feel bad about trying to charge people for something that didn't come out completely sharp like 720p 1080p consistent non-choppy etc like yeah. that so from there 2016 and I'm, i might be explaining but this adds to what the whole career component is but 2016 i was like all right i'm going to try and go ahead and do weekly streams of games in different areas we will travel to a different university and go. And mind you, I was doing this all on my dime, which is hard whenever you're not really making any money. But, yeah. you know, you do what you got to do. And 2016, I was doing uh, traveling to like LSU. I was doing going to Tallahassee, Miami, Savannah, North Carolina, just trying to get different collegiate games and every week have something to be able to produce, which greatly improved what we were doing with our streaming. 2017 did the same thing, and I, and and that's kind of where the ideas for the HBCU Rugby Classic would end up coming from. Okay, let's let's jump into that because I think that's such a magical opportunity. Can you just kind of summarize really quickly for for fans globally, especially the non-Americans, the tradition and the history of HBCUs in general, and then let's layer in the rugby piece of that. So absolutely, so. HBCUs, which is the acronym for uh, Historically Black Colleges and Universities, they are universities that were created before 1960 at a time whenever segregation was at its lives, which is predominantly white institutions, would not allow black students to be able to attend them. So they created universities primarily in the South and East Coast, primarily in the South, where the greatest congregation of black yeah, people resided. Black American didn't graduate until what? early 1800s from Middlebury, like it was... Right, yeah. exactly. Like almost like 100 plus years after the Harvards of the world had been established and still... Exactly. Yeah. And, yeah. and these are institutions that had 
exactly had long histories they were were long in existence but again even particularly in the south segregation was heavy especially after reconstruction you know post-slavery after reconstruction extremely heavy uh so black americans created universities to be able to take care we're talking about schools like tuskegee we have howard uh, exactly and so these schools have been a bastion of, of, of Black culture, of creating and establishing components that exist in the culture today in growing so many influential people from Booker T, from, from the Booker T. Washingtons to Martin Luther King's, the, our, our Supreme Court Justice. I, his name just slipped my mind. But these institutions provided an opportunity to create some of the the best of the best from them. And in that, they also established cultures that have been utilized into other universities that get tied in. So this culture, whether it's from the musical component, whether it's from the showmanship, whether it's from fraternity culture, they are so integral to how even the U.S. culture has been developed. So it was really important to me to be able to bring them in. And finding out in 2015, that HBCUs had rugby. First was Morehouse College when I learned about it. And they basically had told me, hey, we had a team. At the time, it was Florida A&M, Morehouse College, and Prairie View A&M. So I knew I wanted to get them involved, but I didn't know exactly what I wanted to do. And this is why what happened in 2016 and 2017 were so important. Because for me, I had always known that I wanted to bring entertainment into rugby. I felt like the game is one thing, but to bring casual fans, you need to add another component to it. I tried to test it on other, other universities and it, and, and it didn't quite work. And I wanted to have an event that was more controlled. So the HBC Rugby Classic ended up being the perfect meld. Something that I could bring the culture into because in Black culture, in my experience at that time, rugby was always considered, and excuse this slang, but was always considered the crazy white boy sport. This was, you know, you have to bang in your head. You don't have pads. You're drinking like crazy. Like, this is crazy. We're tough, but crazy. But for me, I've always seen it where this actually melds almost perfectly. Our, our, the values are exactly the same. The, the, the rewards are something that we really can escalate on more than just a on-field element. So the HBC Rugby Classic was an idea to be able to bring the culture into rugby, bring rugby into the community, and then bring opportunity greater into what rugby can provide and from there it's been kind of that process over and over every year has been a learning experience bringing in new people it created a reason for people to really have an attention on rugby and who didn't know i'm a little surprised by how much it had been able to do but it has been remarkable in that but again still been a growing process and these teams first prairie view a&m and morehouse those two helped set the standard, created a perfect rivalry, and they happened to be almost about the same distance away from Baton Rouge, so it also worked in that favor yeah. as well. Just um, taking a step back, the, historically, yeah. HB, HBC was created to, for opportunities to create Black American leadership, right? Whites Great were allowed. Education. Yeah, because it, it was higher education. Those opportunities, right. didn't, those opportunities didn't exist from, to your point, a Thurgood Marshall, Supreme Court Justice, to a Samuel exactly. Jackson. Right. Exactly. Shadow Bozeman. 
all, all of them. How exactly. many of the you know hundred plus HBCUs have had rugby historically and or have it now? Let's put it like this. Rugby did not go to HBCUs until 2012 with Morehouse College. That was the very first one. Okay. That was the very first one. Okay. From there, it has been an And just so our fans understand, I mean, HBCUs are almost 3% of the collegiate population. So it's a big percentage of, 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 of students. Exactly. We're talking 119 HBCUs of, of all sorts, from community college to primarily universities and, 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 and all primarily four-year universities. Yeah. So 2012 is when it was with Morehouse College. And then from that point, Prairie View A&M followed and then Florida A&M came afterwards. Uh, and these, Florida are, and these, are, these are men's collegiate club teams. Men's collegiate right? clubs. Okay. The first women's collegiate HBCU team did not come until 2021, which uh, technically, I guess, 2020, but really 2021, which was Prairie View A&M women. And then followed basically maybe like a few months afterwards, which is now the most established, what is Howard University women now who are, are active, powerful, and they've been doing great things. Howard men following us accordingly too. So the, the growth has been slow in development. And, and we've had little instances with North Carolina A&T that got a little bit hindered by the pandemic, Florida Memorial, and in Pennsylvania, I, the name's slipping on me right now, but it's, it's they, they, they've established at least the seeds going in there. But when we talk about what it takes to be able to create them, it's the same thing. We need your, your lightning rod that brings everybody around. The advantages that Morehouse and Prairie View A&M and Howard have had was having a consistent person, being able to bring and recruit the students and be able to keep everything organized and tight until, you know, this next generation. So it's something that we're constantly working on, on being able to build and develop. And now there's more people. Southern University has a tent pool coming in. And by 2025, they should be strongly established. This fall, they will be in existence. But 2024, 2025, they will be soaring. And we're seeing people, questions from Tennessee State and all over, all over. So Gifts, is that, is it, are they, are they starting to create programs on those campuses because there are students on those campus who are saying that this is something we did historic, we did previously in high school, we want it to happen? Or is it the university saying this is an opportunity for us to recruit more female student athletes or more male student athletes? What's the impetus for the growth where it's happening at places like Southern? Primarily, it is student started. These are okay. all students started. You know, because they, you have, they played uh, previously or they've, they just exactly. saw it on. They, they played in high school. Like, for example, whenever you have programs like Memphis Inner City Rugby, Dallas Inner City, ISF, Crystal Ray, they have a lot of predominantly black players that are on the teams. Uh, a lot of these players, especially nowadays, have been wanting to be more interactive with HBCUs. But because there hasn't been a lot of rugby teams there, or historically hadn't been, there was uncertainty of the ability to be able to play. Not everybody wants to bring everybody together, but everybody still wants to be able to continue their career in some way, shape, or form. But because of the fact that we've seen more of a rise now, we're starting to see more of those students wanting to be a part of the team. And even on top of that, people on the outside now want to be able to support those. And that's where really the important part is. The, the people who externalize rugby in their clubs want to bring these to those HBCUs and, and be able to develop that as well. That's brilliant. What, what can MLR teams do to help? So the biggest, the biggest thing is being able to create attention for those teams. I, I've always said that the biggest advantage that an MLR 
program has is that you have a credibility level, meaning because of access in terms of who you have to, whether it's your network partners, whether it is sponsor partners, there is another name that can provide a little bit of a a lift for those teams to be able to get the noise out a lot more. We always talk about financials and financials are always important, but you have to be able to learn to be able to create distribution before you can learn how to receive the, the transaction. And for a lot of those teams, it's, it's really just being able to get heard, letting people know, spreading the word. And then, of course, you know, if you can be able to support with balls or jerseys, equipment, that is the parts that help these teams be able to thrive well, at least be able to start and be able to let the ball roll forward with them. It's a lot simpler, but it, it makes a huge difference. Huge, difference. fantastic work in that regard. That's awesome. And, and so the, the the classic is in DC. Where will it be on March thirty first? Yeah. HBCU Rugby Classic will be taking place at Washington DC on Howard University campus from March thirty first to April second, including the high school side as well as our collegiate side for both boys and girls, men and women, you know, really trying to make it into a cultural affair. We have performers coming from D.C. area and outside. We have people, like I said, our fraternities pro providing a presentation. It should it will be legitimately a entertaining, engaging community event for anybody who comes. Tickets available on HBCURugbyClassic.com. That's awesome. Teams are their only HBCU teams or how's it structured? So because we have a little bit less on the, the women's side, we're bringing some other teams outside. We have for the men's side, Prayer View A&M, Morehouse College and Howard University. For the women's side, we have Howard University and Maine Farming. At this point, we're getting one more inside there. And then for the high school sides, we have Crystal Ray, Withrow High School and Memphis Inner City Rugby to be participating Again, and it, it's great. The storylines are great. Morehouse is out to try and defend their championship. MICR 2018 champions. So it's 2019 champions. I'm sorry. And so it, it brings in a new generation while really elevating the entire culture. Brilliant. Way to give those opportunities. It's fantastic. People buy tickets or can they just come watch? Absolutely. People buy tickets. Again, we want to be able to make sure that we're not just providing more culture, but we want to change how all of us as rugby people need to see our sport and value what we do so that we can be able to grow it really strongly yeah. and independent. I, that could be, that's a whole other subject for another day. But so we can share it with 330 million Americans. And, exactly. Yeah. And, 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 and Lost, perceptive value is viewpoints. so huge. But yes, people can buy tickets, like I said, can go to our website, hbcrugbyclassic.com. Ticket sales are right there. It is $25 for the weekend, $10 for day passes. And yes. Yeah. Enjoy. Gift. Rapid fire. So how did you get connected with Tokyo Gaijin? Did I say that right? Gaijin. Tokyo yeah. Gaijin. So it was actually really funny. So I actually had never really had any aspirations of wanting to go to Japan. But my girlfriend at the time, she wanted to go to Japan. So I was like, all right, let me go check it out. I already knew that the Rugby World Cup was going to be there. So I figured, let me, you know, learn about some of the teams that are there. They hit me back. They were the only ones that messaged me back. And they were like, yeah. You come along, we have a, a rugby trip that we're going to actually in that same time, and you can join us. So went out. It was actually the first week that we got there. And they went to this event. It was in Shugadaira, Japan, which is might be one of the most beautiful locations I have seen that has, I think they have 110 rugby fields, and it's also a ski oh, lodge. Yeah. So that's I, up north. 
up north. Yeah, so it's just yeah, about about four hours, about four hours north of Tokyo. And so it was it was kind of baffling to do it. And they also kind of caught me off guard. They were like, yeah, do you want to play as well, too? I was like, sure. Okay, why yeah. not? So play. Have boots, I'll travel. This is, this, is, this is why we do what we do, right? Yeah. So ended up playing with them for that entire tournament. And they were like, yeah, we love being able to play with you. You know, we do tours elsewhere. Would you want to join? And I was like, yeah, that would be great. So we actually ended up giving my boy a Tomo, who's the one that was my connect into it. I gave him a gift time rugby shirt that he continued to wear. And we ended up from that point, 2016, 2017, I went to Bangkok with them on the first tour for Bangkok 10 with that's run by my guy, Eddie Evans, who's former Canadian rugby team player. Every year, basically until 2019, I've been playing with them. So as a result, I'd gotten a chance to play with them in Bangkok, in Vietnam, and then obviously Japan was the three with the three that I had in location. And then for 2019 Rugby World Cup, only didn't play with them because I thought I would have more time later on. I uh, didn't end up getting that time and the pandemic ruined everything. So now getting back, to, but it did lead me to be able to go and start traveling through Southeast Asia. So because of the guy, Gene, I got to know this kind of connects everything. One of my friends who is was a blogger at that point, and we ended up doing a documentary going through Southeast Asia, going to different NGOs that used rugby to be able to connect with the kids, raise money, and had the chance of now going through Singapore, Malaysia, Thailand, Cambodia, Vietnam, and then subsequently Japan for the Rugby World Cup 2019. That's awesome. What you, you've seen it now, the media landscape now for almost a decade and a half with, with rugby in this country. Now there's, you know, at least professional men's rugby, sevens developing, but from a media perspective, what can at least, you know, myopically MLR be doing better to help, you know, people like you, you know, what are, what are some missing gaps in our media yeah. spectrum? I, I think the number one thing is not just the entertainment, but is the promotion factor of players. I've always been a big advocate to say we need to get pillars essentially of of the league bases of the league to just be doing interviews on a regular off season in season because one of the things that make it easier for people to understand and and know that rugby is happening is that they're seeing somebody who's representing it constantly and it needs to be charismatic people people who people can relate to and attach to and just go do the circles just just do the rounds constantly i think great advice for our players for sure Exactly. Because it creates, again, that funnel into the system. And then everybody else will end up benefiting as a result. I always use the examples whenever Carlin Isles and Perry Baker were getting highlights. The number one thing that people always sent to me, I mean, literally the same clips from like 15 different people would be that one Perry Baker clip of him going through Australia. Yeah. Go through that one Carlin Isles montage of him just cutting through yeah. everybody. And that would be their first intro into rugby. So, and they would always just be like, yo, gift. Hey, did you see this? No gift. Did you see it? And I pretend like, like no, I, I haven't. haven't I haven't seen that. <laughs> totally. But yeah, but that's the thing. It, it's what gets people going. Personalities first, especially in the social media era. And then the teams end up being rising to the top from there. Brilliant. If you were in my shoes running the Free Jacks, what would you be focusing on? Well, if I was in your shoes running the Free Jacks, I, I would first be like, hey, Nola Gold, I apologize. You know, I didn't need <laughs> But secondly, hey, other than really trying to, man, dude, you make some amazing videos. So I would continue to 
pull on that and bring in more players into that because your family looks so dope and bringing more players into that element. Uh, the other half is being more vocal. I think there is a real value in knowing that, especially for American rugby, and I think this one is really important. American rugby needs to have a certain level of brashness to it. I, I want to know that the person, whether win or lose, yo, they're going to be talking up for my team. And I can get behind that. I, I remember the guy who is the owner for the South Africa Sharks when he was talking yeah. about Miami Sharks. Like, yeah. I never really actually knew much about the Sharks. But whenever he started talking, I was like, oh, I want to see what that guy's going to do. Like, I want to yes. get the back. He can take the smoke at the same time. But I would say really trying to be vocal, be respectively brash, but also make sure that I'm bringing the spotlight into my team the most. Yeah, respectively brash. And it creates that drama, which is just we're in the business of storytelling. I love that. Storytelling. Exactly. brash. So I'm going to start swearing at people and throwing things. No, this one, this one, you know, hey, hey, mother sucker. <laughs> Folks, the one and only gift. Hey, Bellu, thank you, sir. It's so great to see you. Thank you for having me. I really do appreciate it. It's, like I said, true honor, man. And always a pleasure getting to talk to you. Check in on your socials or what are your handles these days? Yes, you can find me. There's a lot of them. But primarily, you can find out. Gift Time Rugby on Instagram, on TikTok, on Facebook. That can probably change you over to the HBCUs and Gift Time Medias and stuff like that. But Gift Time Rugby is the primary handle on Twitter, TikTok, Instagram, Facebook, Snapchat. Brilliant gift. You don't, don't tell us anymore because I, I don't right. know if they're appropriate Are you for getting exhausted too? all audiences. <laughs> Thank you, everybody, for listening to the latest episode of Full Contact CEO. Stay tuned for a slate of exciting guests in the world of sports, business, and, of course, rugby. Don't forget to subscribe. Make sure to follow us on Instagram, Twitter, and all other sorts of forms of amazing entertainment, of which gift is. Thank you. Thank you.